Visit us at mysticalwares.com. All orders over $100 will automatically receive a free one-ounce bag of small Shungite nuggets. Can you believe in a finite object possessing infinite power? Or that a mineral can be proclaimed the medicine of the 21st century? Or that the power of nature can win over the ignorance of man? If you can, you will know why our mission is to get Shungite to the masses. You are entering the Shungite Zone. This is the Shungite Radio Show produced by Cosmic Reality Radio. And welcome to Shungite Reality. It's January 23rd, 2024. My name is Nancy Hopkins. With me is Derek Condon. Mark Joseph may or may not be here yet. He's supposed to be, but he will be when he gets here. And we have a special guest, Carrie Lavender from, oh gosh, I should have written it down. What's the name of your website? SweetHavenLavender.com. There you go. Sweet Lavender. Sweet Lavender. Sweet Haven. Sweet, Sweet Haven. Haven. Sweet Haven. Okay. SweetHavenLavender.com. And um, is Mark here? Somebody look. Is he in this? Yeah, looks like. Mark, are you there? Hey, Nancy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was, um, okay. Yeah, I'm here. Hey, everybody. <laughs> hey, Carrie. Hi, Mark. Nice to finally hear from you. Yeah, likewise. Thank you for the connection. Glad you made it. Yeah, of course. Awesome. Mark, why don't you just, t- t- you two chat there and tell how you got connected and uh, lead that into uh, how she found Shungite so that we can talk to Derek and have a real good conversation about the Shungite bees. Will that work? Yeah, so um, I, I was in this group um, uh, on Telegram called Synergists. It's um, uh, t.me forward slash P-S-I-N-E-R-G-I-S-T-S, and it, it's a place that... Um, talks about all sorts of things electronic and crystals and um uh personal defense um talked about it on the show before it, it's regarding um uh, what do you call it uh, uh internet of, of uh internet of bodies internet of things and how to uh, guard against it and um, they have all sorts of different um what do you call it sections and i they're always promoting shungite in terms of how to enhance the human biofield and um, I talked to a lot of people there and then ran into somebody, ran into Carrie, who was uh, big into uh, uh, using Shungite on bees and mentioned that she had also um, <clears throat> found, <clears throat> found Derek like, like the rest of us have, have found Derek um, online and uh, interviews, things like that. And we had a good conversation as far as her experiences with um, applying Shungite and out in... Um, well, Carrie, let, let me have you explain uh, your side of it. But we did have a very good conversation back and forth, and you had a lot to say. So it's like, why don't we just get you on the show? Because um, you have like so much to share and uh, a lot of success with uh, being out there on the field. Sure, sure. Yeah, so um, the the Synergist page on Telegram uh, is doing a good job of helping people to understand that 
our biofield is, is something that is part of every human body. It's not something that is necessarily, some people look at it through a religious viewpoint, but it's something that is, you know, it's inborn in all of us. It's, it's, um, it is our human electromagnetism that, you know, the forces that, that, have evil intent or just uh, want to use or abuse that um, against our knowledge, against our will, um, what we can do to protect ourselves from that. And as Mark was saying, there's a lot of discussion about the use of shungite for that. So, you know, in my, in the recesses of my memory, I started to go down this rabbit hole well over a year ago and just trying to educate myself and improve the health of my family and our farm. And, um, as, as it, as you learn these things and as it, you're being, um, your eyes are being opened to what God put in the world for our health and for our benefit that you may or may not be aware of, um, it, it's sort of like dominoes that fall, right? So I had heard, I was listening to some sort of, um, homesteading podcasts and things that we can kind of do, you know, with the food supply and how, uh, resources became scarce in some areas during lockdown, and that really made a lot of us think about what we can do to be self-sustainable and to take care of our own health better so that we're not dependent on the system. So I was listening to one of those such podcasts, and they had Crow 777 on as a guest. So I ended up going to Crow 777 and listening, and I happened to hear a snippet about Derek and the bees Right at a time where I had finally decided with our farm, we came into farming complete newbies in um, 2018, no experience farming at all, but just knowing that that's something that we needed to do for our children, for our future. Um, so we started out like complete, <laughs> completely ignorant on so many farming techniques, but so eager to learn, right? So um I was so desirous of beekeeping for so long, but all the different aspects of learning to grow lavender and keep it alive and the business aspect kept me from bees for a while. And then, um, so in last March was my first complete year's beekeeper. So I had gone to finally one beekeeping class. It was like, okay, now I'm ready. The farm is, is up and rolling. Things are humming along. I really want to become a beekeeper. So I go to a class, and I order my first uh, nuke of bees, and I order my equipment. And the prevailing idea was, well, don't be discouraged. You're going to lose half your bees, maybe more. You might have to start from scratch again next year. It's just a common thing because you've got colony collapse disorder, and you've got you've got the mites and you've got the wax moths and all these things. And I'm thinking, Oh, good grief. This sounds like such an uphill battle. How did, how do bees ever stay alive without human intervention? You know? So I'm thinking to myself, I don't really want to use all the things that are suggested in the conventional bee community. I don't want to spray them with toxic chemicals. I don't want to feed them with white sugar. If it's bad for us, how can it be good for bees? Right? So I started praying, like, God, I want to tend these bees well. I want to steward them well. I want them to be a blessing to our farm and to the neighboring community. But I want to do it in the most healthful way in, in alignment with how you created them to live. And I, But I didn't know where to look. And the, literally the next day, I hear Derek. And I think, oh, wait, this is great, you know. So I didn't even finish listening to the podcast. I heard him talk about Shungite nuggets at the entrance. Boom. I just, I didn't even listen long enough to know that he had a store. 
<laughs> Sorry, Derek. <laughs> um, but anyway, I I just went half cocked looking for some, and thankfully, I actually found some that that was legitimate. Um, and just to give it a try and have since gone back to Derek and um, purchased from there. But um, so my first experience with the bees was, well, I knew already because I had only had them um, a couple of months, but I had seen how they operate. If something comes into their hive that doesn't belong there, they get it out in a hurry. Even when a bee's life expectancy is done and they die, they are very good about keeping their hive clean and they don't want contaminants in there. And they're very smart. And, you know, God designed them to protect their environment. So I knew that they would not keep something that was unwanted. And I also knew that if it was like neither here nor there, they could care less. They're just going about their business. Right. So I'm sure Derek can attest. You can set down a hive tool. You can set down a glove. You can set put your smoker down on top of the hive. They don't they just go about their business. They, they don't care about that. Right. It doesn't concern them. I put that shungite nugget at the entrance of the hive and I could not believe my eyes. They literally just started filing out. I've never, first of all, I've never seen them come out like that before. They're usually just randomly in and out while, as they're doing their thing, but they literally started to file out and they went straight for it and began inspecting it, which was just so interesting. And they, they didn't just like come near it. It's like they knew instinctively they began to like wipe their little feet on it. And so I thought, well, there's something about that. Like they, there's something within that mineral that attracted them and they didn't get rid of it. They kept it there. So I thought, okay, all right, that's enough for me. I'm going to go ahead and add some of these to, at the time I only had uh, two. Am, am I still with y'all? <laughs> You're so quiet. I want to make sure I'm actually... Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, I didn't want to go on and on and have uh, nobody on the other end. Um, so at any rate, I, I decided to put... I put three nuggets at the corner of each on their bottom board where they enter. And that's all I did. I just went on with the routine practices. Now, I have been learning. I have a really super helpful neighbor who started beekeeping a couple of years ahead of me and he's been very patient and kind to help me um, do inspections and and teach me what he knows and um, and then there's another fella who actually has a, a a traveling apiary business where he offers pollination services to orchards and farms and so forth where he'll pack up his hives and take them there let them do their thing and then bring them back. But he does not live out in the country. He's in a neighborhood and he has a limited space for his hive. So I thought, well, you know, I have acres and acres of lavender and wildflowers and um, cut flowers for bouquet. We're primarily, our farm is an agritourism farm. So we invite the public onto the farm and help them learn about different aspects of farming. And um, I thought, well, this is a win-win, you know, more bees on the farm, there's more pollination, this helps him, and I can kind of learn from him and so forth, but um, he uses conventional practices, he likes to treat his bees with the, you know, the, the typical things that people use um, that they, they feel help prevent diseases and so forth, but in our family, we have kind of chosen to not 
in our own personal family health, we like to do things to support the innate immune system and not necessarily um, invite chemicals and things to, to you know, replace that. Um, I've done a lot of research on it, and this isn't something that I came to lightly. So when I thought about how we operate as a family on a level of how we, you know, steward the bodies that God has entrusted to our care, I thought, well, the things that are bad for us on a macro scale, if you scale that down to, to bee size, and we're, you know, if, if it's bad for the beekeeper to breathe in, and if a beekeeper would not survive on a diet of just white sugar, how I just could not process how that could be ultimately the best thing for the bees. So um, the information that Derek gave about the shungite was, Enough for me to, to understand, like, if he's saying, hey, I don't use those practices and I'm not suffering these diseases or colony collapse. So I just said, okay, to my other friends, that's all right. You know, you treat your bees the way that y- you are led to do, but I just, I don't, I'm not going to do those treatments on my bees. Um, so what we found, I, okay, so... I did not come across Derek's information until I had overwintered the bees. So I got my bees in March of 2022. And when things started, the first pollen started to show up with the tulip poplars in the spring and the bees started to get really active. You know, I started inspections again when the temperatures were warm enough and my bees hadn't really done much in that whole first year. I had only had to add um, a few frames. And when I had put a, a, a super on there. They couldn't fill it. They and I had to remove it before the winter time. So essentially, I had the same hive and the same number. They weren't really proliferating. They had survived the winter, but they hadn't done much. And then it was early spring um, last year that I found out about shungite and put those nuggets on. And oh my word, we were off to the races. So <laughs> I, um, they just. I would go in and inspect them and their frames were filling so quickly. Like I had gone a whole year and seen very little growth in them. And all of a sudden I would inspect and a couple days later, oh, wow, they filled those frames. I need to lay on another super and they would fill those frames. So they were doing really well. And then there came a point um, around right before Easter that the growth was just explosive and they started swarming because I could not put, I didn't even have the enough equipment to give them the extra room that they needed to keep up with their growth. It was so, I don't know, Derek, if it was that quick for you too with the Shanghai, but I mean, within the matter of a month, month and a half, there was a dramatic change in how the bees were um, outputting. Um, so at any rate, that first on Good Friday, we noticed the swarm and that thing was massive. It was huge. I had to call my neighbor because I had not captured a swarm by myself before. And it was so big. I didn't know. I thought, is this, no, it can't be two hives. This has got, it's, you know, they're with one queen. We had to drop that into a Rubbermaid tote to get it over to the hive boxes. It, it, one of the big Rubbermaid totes, like the big black ones you get from Costco. And, that swarm was so large that it filled 
a deep, which is sort of like what beekeepers would use as sort of the starter home, and that's like where the nursery is for the baby bees. That's the deeper stack that you see at the bottom. And it filled that, and it filled two supers, which are sort of like the additions you build on when they've made enough babies and they need an extra bedroom. Uh, It's just amazing. So that was my start, and then um, I noticed that Derek's experience and his first season with the bees really correlates with mine. Um, anyway, I, yeah, it, I ended up catching just last summer, we caught 12 swarms. Two of them we weren't able to catch because of the timing of it and the location of it. Like the bees don't necessarily uh, decide to make themselves available when it's convenient for you. So it, like we were on our way out to a doctor's appointment and I noticed the swarm and hoped that it would still be there when I got home, but it had already moved on. So 14 swarms. And this is while I'm actively managing the hives and I'm actively providing them more space. And they were literally outgrowing their space faster than I could give them new, new space to work in. So we ended up, um, I could only afford a few more sets of um, woodenware to put them in. So my fellow beekeeper, my mentor, uh, he's very connected. He's a retired doctor, so he's very um, in tune with nature and helping people. So he actually aids a few different beekeepers in our locality. So he was giving swarms to them. So, like, literally, the effectiveness of the shungite on our farm was able to bless several other beekeepers so super exciting super super exciting i just want to point out here that you started out with two hives right okay and and you only used three nuggets you didn't do any painting you didn't do anything else it was just those three nuggets Correct. And I didn't even, I put three nuggets on the first hive. And then when I saw how the bees reacted, I ordered a couple more. Um, So I I put, I think I put, I wasn't really sure what was going to be the best for the bees. Like I didn't want to block their entrance, but I saw that they all really liked to touch it before they went back into the hive. I kind of likened it to you know, like the mud room at our farm, like that is where you leave your your junk, you know, you're not going to track it through the house. And I think the bees really use the shungite functionally, almost like a welcome mat to wipe their feet off and just like not drag in bad frequencies. So um, I put one closest to their entrance and then I thought, well, Maybe since it's an energy frequency thing, I should sort of distribute that a little bit. So I put one on the other side as well. But, no, I never I, I never did paint them. Um, I wouldn't have had time to keep up with a, the <laughs> – I could barely order the new materials in time to get them. So that's why we ended up having to share the bees with other beekeepers because I literally could not find places to put them fast enough. Okay, okay. Um, I, want, I want to interrupt you just for a second here because when Derek did it the the first year that he did it and he got him through the winter, you know, they went into the winter, he was in the process of moving. So he moved to, to he was in the process and he got snowed in and he couldn't get back to the hives for three days and it, we were covered with snow and stuff. And when he opened up the first bin, there was no bees in it. They were all dead. And the second, there were two of the five that were left. 
two of the five survived. And the the thing that was different was that they had the the they were painted. Okay? Mm. So that that's just one point. The other point was when he was moving the hives, he realized that the Shungite nuggets had been worn down into the shape of like mountains, little mountains. Because they they would rub up just like you're saying, and and a lot of them will do it before they go out. So what they're doing yes, is yes. they're they're taking those little particles. Remember, it's energy. You just need one little teeny particle of this stuff. The powder is more, let's say, energetic than a a, a big brick is. You know, a five, three to five pound brick. No, it's it's the smaller you get, the more energetic energy is out in the field. So they're flying around with this on them that they leave on the flowers. Um, and when they come back, yeah, it's like they're cleaning. And he, Derek, you don't have those up now, right? But you had, uh, you were taking live video of the bees on, at, at one point. Why don't you start? Okay. Why don't you guys get into a conversation? Because I'd like you to share what she, you you might remember because of what she said to you just now. Oh, yeah. Well, actually, first comment was that's a... Uh that's a huge amount of swarms that you had to deal with there, or uh, got to deal with, Carrie. That's awesome. Um, yeah, and the proliferation of the bees. I will say that I, I, I don't necessarily think that they were coming solely from my hives because I was hosting my friend's hives, and um, he's he's been his business has kept him very busy, so he had not been out as frequently to lay on new supers. So I think I was catching some of his swarms. Honestly, I think, but mine definitely did swarm because I could see the difference in like their population and I could see that they swarmed. I could tell when they swarmed. I actually witnessed it a couple of times. So they swarmed, mine swarmed more than once. Um, and of course, I think I caught some of his too, but well, anyway, yeah. A Shungite environment because you're, your property especially is part of, you know, what we call the Shungite grid. So you've got Shungite in various places. So that will draw other swarms to or other, um, you know, queens to go there and bring their colony with them and swarm, as you know it, um, mm -hmm. in that environment probably more often than somewhere else. So regardless, it's, it's all awesome um, that, that they're doing that much. So and then what I was going to say about the um, that we were just talking about before. I'm trying to think about what we were saying just before we, we cut off. But regardless, it'll come back to me. Um, I, don't then, wanna, I don't want you to lose your train of thought, but I have a question for you about the swarms because I'm wondering if this is yeah. Shungite-related, what I've seen. I know that the the queen has a pheromone and that the, the other bees are attracted to that, and that helps them to stay near her and protect her. But consistently, the bees kept going to one spot in particular. We caught... I think we caught nine out of the 12 swarms were at the exact same branch on one willow tree. Mm -hmm. I was just going to say that, too. I, no, it's not a coincidence at all, the, especially a willow tree. That's funny you mentioned that. Willows, um, cedars, and some others. Now, here's where we get into a little bit of the woo-woo the, the or metaphysical of it, too, because, of course, um, trees have energy fields as well. And they vary from tree to tree, um, and they can be heightened. So there is a spot in that tree that's just, you know, I guess we can call it a comfortable, safe space energetically for them to do that. So, yeah, the swarms would be led there. That makes sense. It was really cute because um, our staff members at the farm and my family members, they kind of became accustomed to always checking that spot. And it was like 
the you've got mail movie, you know, like, bing, you got a notification. And, and they, they all sort of knew that that would send me like running for my equipment. And, um, you know, it, it was, it was so funny because it was, it happens. Lavender season for us here is pretty short. It's about six weeks and we host a lot of guests. Um, we, we average somewhere between one and 2000 guests a week and we, um, you know, get dressed up for the day and get ready to go and then er, go, go get your big, hot, sweaty suit on. And of course the bees like swarm on the days that it's 97 and you got to put this thing on. Um, but it's, it was so much fun to see the excitement of my family and our guests too. Like they were, they got to witness the swarms a few times and were so excited to, to know that they were successfully rehomed and, um, it's built a lot of enthusiasm within um, the the you know the base of our guests that visit regularly. They want to know how the bees are doing, and so I get to share about Shungite with them. And then um, we have a number of garden clubs that visit, so I've been trying to uh, talk to them about Shungite whenever I have the opportunity, and they're fascinated by it, of course, you know, because. We know, like intuitively, we understand that technology is largely harmful for us. And it just makes sense that those waves that are in the air are interrupting the GPS of these brilliant little creatures. Like bees do such magnificent things. And they have overcome so many odds. And they they create this wonderful healing product. So many. You know, you, the propolis is great for you. And the pollen is great for you. Like, everything they do is so beneficial. And yet, with the extreme intelligence and GPS system that God built into them, they're having a hard time finding their way back home. If the bees are having a hard time, you know it's impacting us. And if the bees are benefiting from Shungite, you know it can help us. So we love being able to share all that with them, but it's, it's let, interesting. Let, like me, let, me, been, let me jump in here again, because yesterday when we had a, or a couple of days ago when we had a conversation, you said to me, what's, what's the proof that it's working? And I gave you some things, but that to me made the difference, is if the bees are surviving, if Derek went through two seasons without losing a bee to anything except natural age, you know, what that's the best proof we have yeah i just wanted to point Uh, that out yeah i agree with you because i i very much love science you know my undergrad i had a, a minor in science i i'm one of those nerdy types that likes to read medical studies for the latest information because it's fascinating to me so um i have been researching shungai and i i first of all i want to thank you both all of you for making such a wonderful repository of information on the website. You know, you've, you've kind of curated a library for people that's easy to access, and it's on a variety of subjects. It's not limited to beekeeping. It's not limited to EMF. I was just reading one of the studies you posted today about the implications for treating cancer. Um, so it's fascinating, and I just want to thank you because you, you've created a resource that is really beneficial on so many levels. And then... I think, did I hear this correct, Nancy? I was listening to one of your older podcasts, and you were talking about when you were first introduced to Shungite in 2014, and as you were researching it, you did something 
patent-wise to keep to protect the ability for us to be able to use Shungite so that somebody wouldn't snap it up and maybe, you know, commercialize it or something. Did I understand that correctly? Yes. The first thing that I did when I realized, because I've had jobs where patents were critical, okay, I realized that if you can, you can patent something as long as it's not um, out in the public, that it's been out there for a while, okay? And I knew that the the that they would be patenting this stuff all over the place. You wouldn't, as a just a regular person, you would run into these patent, and they they've got lookers out there, these patent attorneys. Okay, they're watching for people to come out. It's a terrible situation, but if you pull a um, oh what do they call it, a provisional patent, okay, you have captured the patent right for a year. Nobody can patent it because you've got provisional patent and you can patent it but to patent something like this is tens of thousands of dollars. Okay? So I said no. Well, I'm going to put it out into... That's why, you know, I, we had the radio so we could make it public worldwide. You know, you can't patent it now. That's why we, you've got all these people out there that, oh, I got this device, you wear it around your, your neck and it's, it's uh, going to change the EMF. If that stuff is working, it is Shungite that's doing it because they always say proprietary information because they can't patent it. If they pat I, Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. I get it. I, I'm just like, I'm flabbergasted. I'm grinning from ear to ear hearing you say this because... I, we have a saying on our farm, uh, when somebody has a good idea, we tell them, big brain, big brain, you know. That was such a big brain move. That was, I mean, that, that just is affirmation that, that God wanted that information to get out to people, and he entrusted it to somebody who would do the right thing. And I, that was just, man, well, that was more, more than that. More, <laughs> more than that. In the job I had, which was... I was the office manager of a manufacturing company that built grenade launchers, right? And I'm going like, why do I have this job? <laughs> you know, this is insane. But that job taught me about patents. It taught me about international shipping. It taught me about business. I mean, so much. Everything that allowed me to really, well, I had other, you know, teachings about energy and stuff. But it, regarding the Shungite and making the Shungite store, they had, they had trained me in everything. And I used to talk to a guy, a patent attorney, one of the most expensive, the biggest in, in this country, you know, and he, was a, he became a friend because every month we were talking about the patents for the company. And, you know, uh -huh. so with that information, I mean, yeah, how many people would have had that information to know that if I had not done that, pulled those provisional patents, I pulled two of them, that if I had not done that, they could have easily gobbled it up and, and put it under all these different things. Nobody would have known what the hell was happening. So, that, just, you know, it's, it's I, guided. I'm amazed. I'm guided. amazed. That's it. I mean, I thank God for that because that that's something that that definitely <laughs> that's not by accident, you know that that is not by accident and and I just want to thank you for having the forethought to do that to to protect that for the rest of us. That's incredible. <laughs> I well, love it <laughs> again, I can't take credit for it because I was trained to look at things like that, you know, but you know 
the fact that I'm so willing to be able to do whatever these... I listen to the voices in my head. I look at the, the signs that you, most people don't see. And I just follow this path. So have I had a blessed life? Oh, absolutely. Because I was listening to the things in my head. Not what people were saying to me, but what I was hearing in my head. And, yeah. you, you know, yes, vivid imagination. Yes, as a kid, our parents threw us out. You know, I mean, ten kids in a neighborhood where every parent was watching every, you know, if they were in their yard, they, they were in charge, right? So we were able as children to be able to engage in imagination. We didn't have the electronic crap that fills your brain with whatever. We were yeah. using our own imagination to, to oh, I mean, the stories I could tell that, I lived through as a kid, you know. <laughs> so, so, so it, it's like, yes, I've been very blessed to be able to be trained to do what we needed to do. And it's like Derek. I mean, how in the hell did I find Derek? Somebody who was who was a beekeeper who understood what I was saying, and not only that, but understood the shungite, and then knows, you know, so much more about. All of the various things that he's got that, you know, from electronic uh, microscopes to different types of, um, what do you call it, distilleries. Of, mm -hmm. I mean, there's not a subject because he also went from job to job to, the, you know, learning, learning, little school here, blah, 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 life, life, life. You know, so that in, in a very strange sort of way, I, was, I realized that the EM, I'd said from the beginning because I had tracked it. I had seen the the build out of the the electromagnetic telecommunications system, and it was corresponding to the uh, decline in the in the bees. Okay, because what would happen is they put out new systems. So they went from let's say three to four, or, or let's go two to three. Okay, so they go two to three, and all of a sudden there's you know the bees are dying off all over the world. Nobody knows why. Okay. Um, but they had just gone from two to three. And then mm. over, over while the three was there, the bees began to rebound. There was, a, 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 again, the death rate wasn't quite as severe because they adapt. You know, that's some, one of the magic things about bees is they do adapt. And so they said, okay, we're in a new electromagnetic system here. What do, what, what do we have to adjust to be able to navigate is what I think they were doing. Okay, but then they mm -hmm. went from three to four, and boom, it was exploded. And I mean, mm -hmm. it was so clear as to what was happening. So I felt that if, in this case, I said, look it, if this stuff is helping me, then it's going to help them, and then they're not going to have a colony collapse. But I didn't know how to get to, to Shungite to the bees, okay? So I'm, th I'm thinking, and this is just a funny, you know, I'm thinking, uh, okay, what if we take the powder and we put it in a little tray and we put it outside the, the beehive? I mean, I knew nothing about the bees, beehives or anything. Now I do, but, you know, what, how do we do that? And I said, oh, shoot. I said, you know, if they walk through that, maybe you'll breathe it into their lungs. And Walt Silva says, bees don't have lungs. And I was like, <laughs> how do you know that? <laughs> you know, but it's like he he also was being trained in all sorts of information that sort of like not you didn't have to wait and listen to the the information you're getting into your head from your guides because either Derek or Walt or me uh, sum up one of us who would know it. So is this is this 
something that we, any of us, the three of us had any choice on? Or you? You know, do we have a choice? Are we part of this magnificent, you know, uh, it's it's a renaissance in knowledge because now we're looking away from the 3D well, we look at it to observe what's happening, but then for the source of how and why it's happening, you look at the energy. So, I mean, we talk about an awakening, but we are in a massive scientific awakening. It, that's so true. It, not just science, but, I mean, learning truth on so many levels. You know, just things that about our history, about uh, so many different things. I, I feel like that's part of the reason it, it took me over a year to through Mark, rediscover the connection to Derek. I couldn't remember his name. I couldn't remember where I'd heard anything about this. And then, you know, Mark posts something about Shungite bees in this completely obscure, different uh, chat. And I thought, oh, there it is. It's the Shungite bees. So I go and I listen to that, and I hear this guy on there. Oh, there's this other co-host. His name is Mark. And I think, wait a second. I think that's the guy in the chat. (laughs) So I go back and I said, is that you? And he said, oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, talk about when God wants something to happen, he puts us within the right sphere to meet people. And, you know, I I think of how all things work together for good for those who love him. And he says that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So if we are looking for answers that are pleasing to God and and, in his will, he puts them in front of us. He, He definitely will connect us with people. For instance... I'm thinking about the bees and I'm thinking about this conversation today and you know in the back of my mind I've realized I haven't been able to go to any of the area beekeeper meetings because the farm keeps us so busy and and I kept thinking you know it's a little bit slower during the winter time I really need to go and meet my fellow beekeepers and start spending time with them so that I can help them learn about shungite but I don't even know where they meet or anything and I kid you not a woman that I've never met before, but she's come to the farm. She's She's been, a, apparently in her email, she said she was a frequent guest to the farm. She reached out to me to say, I'm a fellow beekeeper, and our area meeting meets here and meets there, and I see that you've got a thriving apiary. I would love for you to join us. So, you mean, there you go. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Just Dar- another example. I want to ask one question, and then you know Derek and Mark. I, I don't, I don't. I could talk to you all day long. Um, <laughs> the 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 beekeepers, your neighbors that were doing the chemical stuff, have they made a change in the way they're looking at it now? Uh, so no, not yet. No, um, they he's think actually it's fluky? been so busy. There, there's been some other, you know, his his. Beekeeping isn't his primary um, career, and he's unfortunately not been as active with the bees um, in this calendar year. And sadly, when he, when I started keeping and he set up his hives um, beside mine, he came with 14. He's down to only four because his have been attacked by wax moths. And that's another proof to me of what Shungite is doing to improve the health of my bees, because they're literally beside each other. Like, uh, there's just enough of a gap between his boxes and my boxes that I can reach my hands in to manipulate the boxes, but it's no more than six inches apart. And he had 
10 devastated by wax moths. And I had to, you know, remove them so that they wouldn't spread to mine. Um, and, and it's a very sad thing to see a bee colony attack that way because it's, it's a, it's, ugh, it's just like to see their perfect little honeycomb homes destroyed. And, and it's like this, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but, um, it's like, a almost like a web, would you say, Derek, if you've ever seen it, it's like this thick, nasty web and it's discolored and it smells, but it's a very sad thing. The decay and what yeah. a wax moth does to a hive. It's very sad. Um, and from what I understand from other beekeepers, that spreads like wildfire, and yet none of mine were impacted whatsoever. Yeah. So, found, on that note, Carrie, I found that, yeah, that's that's a good uh, example that you're talking about because the bees are so healthy when they're in that shungite environment that they can take care of any, um, you know, even mites, things like that, so they don't get out of hand. Because people ask me, why don't I have treat for mites? I'm like, well, because the bees know how to do it themselves. Mites aren't new. They're not new to bees. They've been around Things change, but no, keep healthy bees, and they can use you know, take care of all those issues themselves, including wax moths and things. So if somebody does come in, they'll attack them, get rid of them, and they won't ever take hold. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. And, and you know, that's the same thing, what you mentioned, like, bees have done this before. I thought, how did they manage to survive all these years without the man-made chemicals that we've decided since the 1940s or 50s they can't live without? You know, so getting back to basics and giving them a chance and doing what we can from a natural, non-invasive standpoint, you know, I mean, think about it. Like, if if you've ever been in a place, like, one time when I was in college, <clears throat> um, a girl in, in the apartment unit that I, that I shared brought a cat in, and that cat had a massive flea infestation. And so they came and fogged our house. And, man, that was, like, irritated our lungs for weeks to get rid of those fleas. It stayed in the fabric. It stayed in the carpet. And I thought, well, what are you doing if you're smoking bees? You're saturating their honey. You're saturating the wax. It's getting all over them. Like, imagine if we were having to live in a place that was, you know, three or four times a year getting bombed with chemicals. I just can't, I can't imagine living that way as a human being, but on a micro scale, this, this, you know, the, the size of the bee is so small, how much more impacted are they by those chemicals? So I thought, I just don't like in my gut, I don't feel like that's the right thing to help them. And I mean, this is anecdotal. I mean, we're talking about, his 14 hives going down to four, and then my hives, only organic with the shungite, I start with two, and 16 months later, I mean, and really, so I, they came through that first calendar year from March to March. I put the shungite on early spring, sometime maybe mid-March, and by the end of the summer, I have six hives and could have had more if I'd had the equipment to put them in. And mine have all overwintered well. We've had a few days where it's gotten up into the high 50s, low 60s here in the last couple of weeks. And my girls are still coming and going. They're still strong. So, you know, to me, that's, I'm seeing the proof positive with my own eyes. I did have, I, I did lose one hive, but it was not to disease. Um, we had some sort of, um, 
wasp that I've never seen before. I don't know where this thing came from. It was big. It was ugly. It had red on it. And I started to see wasp nests popping up at different spots on the farm. And then um, I had just thought my strongest hive, it had, man, I had, this was one of the ones I caught from a swarm this summer. I had a deep and I already had three, three or four supers on it. It was tall. It was like, I couldn't, I could barely keep up with it. Um, But it was so heavy with honey that like when I lifted up one of the boxes to inspect it, I accidentally broke where they had, um, you know, they'll, they'll, sometimes they'll um, build their comb. They don't know to stay in the lines, you know, so sometimes they'll, their comb will um, attach to the frame. And so when you lift it up, you might break a couple cells of honey and it'll drip. And I was, I wasn't thinking that that would be attractive to other things, but that one hive, it was so full of honey that some that that those insects came and they raided it and they ate that honey and they they cleaned out the wax they cleaned out I couldn't believe it I came by and I thought what is that pile in front of that hive and when I opened it there was literally nothing left so it wasn't an infestation I think that the, the, the bees actually absconded because they were under attack and those um, insects were still there eating all their honey so. Sadly, they made a very good product that was appealing to other creatures. <laughs> but that was the only loss. And, oh, are you? Yep. So I'm, I was actually trying to talk to you, and I had my mute button uh, well, muted for one thing. Oh, sorry. Go for it. Oh, no. No, no. That's okay. I was just literally jumping in when you were saying that. Um, yeah, I mean, you're going to have losses from time to time for different things. And that's um, – I've had a similar situation where – uh, honey had, had spilled out because yeah, that's going to draw all kinds of critters there, from birds to bugs to whatever. Um, well, in, in my case up here in the northwest, you know, critters from the forest, from raccoons to bears, possums. I mean, all kinds of stuff. So yeah, honey's a big draw. Um, yeah, and that's interesting also about the the wax moths and things like that. And actually, I'm going to bring it back to something earlier as well. <clears throat> um, kind of on a comment Nancy made so. Nancy, not, not that you'd ask this, but sometimes it's hard because if the hive's already going, you can't use shungite paint because you're not going to paint the hive while it's active. So literally, and this is really for everybody, um, if, if you can do the shungite paint, which is just to reiterate for, for people that don't know, but it's the shungite and silver powder mixture in a low VOC, so hopefully a non-toxic paint, and you paint that on the exterior of beehives. But of course, you got to do that when there's no bees living in there. Um, because it has to dry and, and things like that. So it's, it's often hard to, to go complete shungite beehive, air quotes here, without, um, you know, starting from a new hive. So you know, otherwise you have to try to rotate in uh, boxes like supers and like, like things Carrie was talking about, which would be the deeps. The, and Carrie, were you using eight or ten frame deeps? Oh, my word. I should have listened to my mentor <laughs> and done the eight. I, I thought, oh, no, you know, I'm farm strong. I can handle the tent. They're really heavy. <laughs> I know. They get heavy, especially Shungai B.I. ones because they pack those things. They uh, do. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't weighed them. But, yeah, what we're talking about, everybody, is because on these, the boxes, they're called Langstroth beehives, right, in the, in the ones you see in the farm fields and stuff or wherever, um, or on Carrie's farm. But often they're they're white, but not always. They can be really uh, almost any color. Um, but those have eight or 10 different honeycomb frames are called set in there. And when those guys are 
packed with honey, that gets really heavy. Um, just trying to lift them and move them around because it's just not one lift. You've got to take the, you know, the smaller boxes off or however your setup is. There's a lot of lifting, so it's uh, yeah, it's some work. So that's funny about the farm strong. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, I, I think I need to start, you know, packing a back brace in with my uh, my my glove and my veil. So <laughs> that's not a bad idea. Yeah, seriously, I mean, uh, you want to be able to keep with it and 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 keep a positive mindset with the bees because I've noticed that when I start to feel overheated or feeling like, oh, I've got to take this veil off, I just can't breathe, or uh, the sweat's in my eyes or something, that's the only time that I get any sort of, you know, I can tell that my frustration transfers to them because then they'll give me the little warning signs of bumping off of you and so forth. Um, But, you know, I've never been stung during a swarm Ever. And I mean, I'm handling tens of thousands of bees in some of these swarms. Um, the only time I've ever been stung is when uh, it was, I knew it was going to be blazing hot for several days in a row. And I had this small window of time in the early morning and I thought, oh, I'm going to do myself a favor. I'm going to get out there before the sun is high in the sky. So I'm not going to be sweating my buns off while I'm out there. And, um, and, but it was like, I had this small window and I knew I needed to take care of some things in there. And then I noticed some mistakes um, that I wanted to rectify. And and I thought, well, I've got to swap out this. And I had borrowed some frames from a neighbor, so I was going to try to replace them. And I was rushing. And I wasn't being mindful about caring for the bees. And I was my mind was on duty and my mind was on the clock and not on just being there in the moment and taking care of them, being careful not to squish any or whatever. And um, I opened a box, and this has never happened to me before, never happened since, but as soon as I took the lid off, it was like they were waiting to pounce on me, and they rushed me, and I just got covered all at once, and, and I thought, oh, heavens, what do I – what have I done here? And I got stung like two or three times right away. And I know that that pheromone, that signals the other bees to keep stinging. So I'm thinking about that and I'm thinking, oh dear, be calm, just walk away. And normally if you walk away, they'll be like, all right, she's, she's gone. She's, you know, and they go back to business. They weren't leaving. And the further I, I was trying to walk toward my house and I was just like, okay, Lower your heart rate. I'm telling myself I started singing a hymn. And I just, no, and thing is getting- nothing happened. And I just, I started to get nervous because I was feeling the stings and they were coming more. And I just said, I just prayed. I stopped and I thought, God, I don't know what to do. And I need your help. Show me what to do. And I kid you not, I hadn't even finished the prayer and this huge gust of wind came right at my face and blew them all off. <laughs> it was amazing. It was amazing. And then it was done. The stings were done. And I haven't been stung since because I'm a lot more careful now to be thinking about the bees. And I come in with a song of gratitude in my heart. And I'm very often singing a hymn. And I, I sing out loud because I, I feel like, you know, there there's definitely – there's an understanding between bees and the beekeeper, and I am very grateful for the opportunity to work with them and for what they provide. And um, 
And I think it's, you know, to have a song in your heart and to share that with them is a, is a good way to show appreciation to God and to the, the little workers that you're working with. So. Yeah, it definitely makes a difference, your your energy state and your feelings and your state of mind when you're out there working with them. Because, you know, you can rile them up. But I mean, that happens with humans. So, I mean, a person can walk in and be at that heightened state and then others around them can feel it. Um, and some mm-hmm. may not know why it's going on, but. Oh, yeah, it's a thing. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of which, um, I know, Derek, that you're a veteran. Are, have you connected with any of the veterans groups that are using beekeeping to help treat PTSD? Oh, no. I never even thought about that, to be honest. So, no, I wasn't, wasn't aware that was a thing. Uh-huh. I'm going to have to look into that here locally. Oh, I'm so excited to share this with you. So, I had just been doing some reading about why working with bees is so calming for people. And I'm sure you probably have already heard this, but that um, beekeepers as a profession on average have longer lifespans than any other profession. Oh, sure. Yeah. So when I heard you talking about the telomeres, that makes sense, you know, because if we're consuming the bee products and we're with the bees, um, apparently it's the thrumming sound of the beating of the bees wings is in the perfect key of C, and that helps to reset our own biofrequency to a healthy level. So what researchers have found is that has a tremendous impact on those who are suffering from PTSD because what happens is their brains get stuck in a loop of replaying negative emotions and negative memories, and with each replay of that, that loop, it reminded me of visiting Pompeii And when you walk the streets of Pompeii, there are actual grooves in the ground where the Roman chariots would ride. And over time, the wheels, just like you said, your your, uh, shungite was worn down by the bees actually touching it all the time. The ruts in the streets of Pompeii were so deep. I thought, how, how could somebody ever get off this road? Because the wheel would fit in that groove. Well, the same thing happens with when somebody is traumatized by PTSD their mind gets stuck in that loop, and every time the loop plays again, it goes a little deeper, and it makes it more difficult to get out of that rut. But being in the presence of bees in that perfect key of C, they don't even have to think about it. The, the vibrations actually help to lift their thought process out of a rut and helps them to focus on something else, and that is why they experience those feelings of peacefulness. So they're our little um, beekeeping programs springing up. And I was so excited to see just this year um, a local winery that carries some of our products in their shop. They got a new CEO this year and he started an organization called Vets First. And they actually installed uh, hives at the winery. And the lady who mentored me in beekeeping is training um, vets to take over that apiary. So I just think that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that is, excuse me, amazing. Um, and then as far as being a, around in that frequency, oh, yeah, I've, I've uh, back in the, I said the early years, so maybe Nancy remember better than I would, but 2016 or 17, I had a, uh, a building that I kind of cut holes in the side of, and so I would store the beehives inside the building, but their entrance would protrude through the wall, and they could access it outside. But I would then hang up, so inside the building, I could hang up a hammock. So I would string a hammock up over some of the beehives, 
and lay above them sort of thing for just that same thing you're talking about as far as you know using them for the veterans and or really anybody um that, that can benefit from it so that was a that was a really neat experience to be able to do that and just kind of lay above a couple of the hives and and feel that whole not just hear them feel them see them they'd be it was all of it so it was a re- really interesting experience that is sweet two of my favorite things hammocks and bees <laughs> yeah yeah and there's people somebody in um up in canada somewhere contacted me it's not where they started they, they've been around for i don't know a couple hundred years but as far as now i'm hearing something here i'm not sure what's going on yeah it was on my computer i think what i was going to say was they make bee beds there's somebody that has um, made their own version of a bee bed that looks kind of like a, a wooden box that's you lay down in and the beehives are actually built under it. So then you're just kind of, there's only separation would be a, uh, you know, maybe a piece of plywood or something. Oh, so, that's so cool. Yeah, it works sort of like a rife machine, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, that's funny. That's exactly, that's what it would be. Uh-huh. So then you can, and then you, being in that energy environment, you know, then use your own intuition or understanding you know intentions you can say to heal yourself get involved um personally as well that's a great idea that is so cool so uh, all right so you said you moved your hives into a building and they have their entrance sort of on the outside of the building is that what i see on your website some somewhere on the website there is a spot of that i think there's a video of it as well um but basically, yeah, it was like a 20-foot-long, um, it was on a concrete slab, so it was an actually outdoor building or shop building um, with metal sheeting on the sides. And I just basically cut holes in it for the entrance and, again, took the beehive inside, shoved the, um, the beehive landing strip through the hole, and then the bees had complete security. I was worried about out in that neck of the woods where I was at in Darrington, Washington, there was um, bears that would come in. Uh, and, you know, knock over beehives and stuff like that. So I just thought, well, let's just avoid the whole thing and give them the, what I thought was probably the biggest beehive on the planet because it was really, I don't know, 20, 25 feet by the same distance and then that tall. So then I got the beehives over the, the couple of years I was doing it there. I don't I have pictures of that too, but probably six foot high. So, you know, four or five boxes on there. Or Brilliant. Five, probably five or six. But, yeah, it was, it was big. It was, it was interesting, especially when someone – get out and then fly in the shop building because you're not going to control that. They're going to go in there at times for different things. So that was a interesting environment too, because I wasn't really worried about it. You know, I'd still jump up in the hammock and, and chill out and, and the bees do their thing. But I was around, Oh geez, I think I had nine. I don't remember at that time. It depends, but the whole span of the wall, there's probably held somewhere around that many um, beehives on the, on that one wall of the building. So it was a high energy environment for sure. And when you're in that building, that's so why I kind of mentioned the, uh, the the metal walls or siding on there um, because you could really feel the reverberation once the oh, bees cool. were yeah, doing their thing. That's cool. So do you have any um, outside a, a building now, just out open air? Yeah, right now, actually, I'm in the last couple of years, I've tended to move around a lot and relocating. I had another business that I was dealing with for a while there. So I've been doing more consulting than having my own hives right now. So I consult on different hives, and those are all – outside we're, we're looking so eventually in the near future we're hoping to get a, a more permanent piece of land and just do a whole shungai beehive um apiary where people can come visit and i can actually do demos because now i do those in our store in mount vernon washington called mystical wares so i actually have there's no bees in this particular hive but i do bring in a whole beehive that stays in here permanently that's all set up the shungai and and explanations and links and things but 
Oh, that's cool. The reason I ask, I have uh, two reasons, really. Um, first is, are you familiar with electroculture? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I figured. Okay. You guys are- <clears throat> Before we go into that subject, let's take a break. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. So just remember, write it down. Electroculture. Yep. Okay. We'll be right back. <laughs> Three minutes. want to give your last name (laughs) thank you i don't know which way you go um okay so derek i'm gonna you guys were talking about uh, electro something or other (laughs) yeah have you done that yeah carrie have you done electroculture yourself i'm just beginning to experiment with it and actually my 12 year old son is doing his science fair research project on it um the reason I ask is that uh, with our initial experiments, we were seeing some really good results. So sort of 
uncorrelated at the time. I wanted to really make our apiary more of a feature on our farm and just make it prettier and draw our guests' attention to it so that we might engage with them more about bees and shungite. So I thought, well, what can I do to, you know, improve the look? And I saw these adorable, they call them garden covers for your Langstroth hives that look like a little house with a copper roof. And I thought, well, you know, I know copper's good, so... um, and it's adorable. So I, I went ahead and I bought a, a couple of them, but they're pricey. They're a lot more expensive than your standard um, lids for your hives. And what I noticed was that the I, I had two to start with. Uh, they were outpacing even the shungite hives. They all had shungite, but the ones that had shungite and copper produced even faster. So um, my... Copper and shungite hives have four supers on them, and the shungite alone have three supers. They're all doing very well, but I, you know, I couldn't help but notice that perhaps there's a correlation there, um, and wondered if you had any experience with that. Yeah, I've got, um, in fact, the hive here in Mr. Guerzo, I was telling you about my demo one, actually has a a copper roof to it as well, so I, I do, I've used them that way. I've even... Um, hooked up grounding rods and wires to um, beehives. I've stuck copper pyramids under them. Uh, I haven't. What I need to do is take my larger copper pyramid and stick it around one because I have one that's six and a half feet um, length to it. We'll say it's kind of at an angle, of course, but it'll go right over a beehive. So I have had some experience in that in lots of different ways, and it was always positive. Um, I can say that. And then, yeah, the aesthetics of it just look really cool as far as having the copper roofs on some of them i have not yeah yeah, and i've not copper is like really expensive so i haven't wrapped a whole beehive in it but i've um used different blanks so long story short they're called and you may know about this orgone devices so i've actually worked with a a beehive to turn it into its own orgone device and that's just by layering organics and uh, materials and metals and you can use straw you can use um different uh, there's there's copper papers. There's lots of different types of thin metal that you can wrap in there as well, or products um, like insulation that have some in it. So it's it's not real tough to make an orgone device out of a beehive, and that has a similar effect. It boosts so, it. So what did you? Where did you layer those things on the inner cover at the bottom board? How did you go about it? I did it. <clears throat> excuse me. At the so I didn't fall. So I was prepping for winter. So up here in the northwest, it gets pretty cold as we mentioned the snow earlier. So I did it externally on the hive, just got your normal beehive box, your Langstroth hive, uh, got it down to whatever size I felt was good for the winter, um, and then wrapped the outside of it. And often I would start with, um, oh, geez, what they call them, the, the potato sacks. Um, shoot, I'm trying to figure out what they're made out of. Five uh, Well, no, what was it? Or burlap or? Burlap, there we go, yeah. burlap. So I would start with burlap, and then there's, um, in the insulation areas if if that's a thing at the hardware stores you can get thin insulation pieces of metal again i don't remember the exact brand name i'll maybe put something together and post it um so people can go buy the stuff but basically you're just layering those metals and organic materials sometimes i would use straw and then just lay it up against the side you can get some binding um twine wrap it to hold it on there and then another layer and and long story short you're also of course insulating your hive against the environment, things like that. And for the, and carry on those, but for the listeners, you know, of course you want to be careful not to cover the entrance of the hive and, you know, limit the bees coming in when you do something like this. And then I would just tie a, uh, 
a piece of metal. So I, I make dowsing rods as well. So I would just take one of those copper pieces of metal, can um, attach it to the hive, and then run a copper wire down into the ground and oh. compare that to other hives. So long story short, I was basically grounding my beehive um, just to see what the differences would be. Interesting. Did you notice any condensation issues with that? Uh, oh, that's a good point. So you bring uh, that can be a thing. So I'm glad you brought it up for the, the beekeepers that are listening to this. So at times, yes, it will cause the condensation, you know, the water to show up in there. So I would vent the top because it was such a good insulation. I would often, you know, you check on your bees as well, but you can vent the top. So basically, and of course, you know this lift up the lid and then put a little stick or something on there so there's a little air gap that can go in and then the air will circulate through the top of the hive down through the bottom or vice versa and the bees will control that too to uh, aerate the hive and get rid of the condensation. Hmm. Yeah, that's great. We call that uh, redneck air conditioning for our hives in the summertime. (laughs) Yeah, I would even do that so I'd put a bird slash bee bath in front of it. You know, I lived in Louisiana for some time so I used swamp coolers down there so the bees would get involved and basically just blowing air over some water and it, it cools stuff off. So then we would put that near their hives in, in the summertime, of course. Hmm. So I'm curious. So you paint the exterior of your hives with shungite powder. Have you ever placed a shungite nugget within the hive? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've done that in, in different areas and I found it embedded in the honeycomb um, just kind of, you know, just waxed around it in there because it was, it was in there. They, or they would build the comb, extend the comb off the frame to encompass the nugget as well. So I have done that because I was worried about pests one year, like little rodents getting in there or, or what, you know, like you mentioned, um, different wasps or hornets and things are sometimes an issue. So yeah. I've stuck them in there um, and they don't expel them because they were small enough nuggets where they could have shoved it and they can move rocks, everybody listening. I mean, they'll, they'll shove little, like, again, mice out of there if they can't. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and if they can't, they'll propolis around it and seal it up either way. But, no, they can move a whole, you know, a critter out of there. So if they wanted these nuggets, like Carrie mentioned earlier, they could have shoved them literally right off the entrance of the beehive. That's the nuggets not stopping them. Um, yeah. As, well, as a with, fact, with you, a little... Hold on a sec. With your first three nuggets that you put on the original ones, they actually glued it to the hive. Remember that? Yeah, they pressed it down. Mm-hmm. Did you have that effect too? That they actually were, were making sure it didn't go anywhere. Carrie, the one that was the one that was closest to the entrance. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the the other one, um, I guess that was their favorite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I got a little nervous last week because uh, we had uh, a pretty ferocious nor'easter. Like we had to batten down the hatches, bring down anything that could get airborne. Uh, because we had winds that were like, I don't know, like they were 25 mile an hour winds, but hurricane force gusts. So I was really nervous about how the bees would do. And um, I went out to inspect them the next day and I noticed a couple of the Shungite nuggets were gone. And I thought, no, well, I, I'm sure the bees didn't get rid of them. And as I got closer and I started to just observe what was going on, the bees showed me where they were. Because I I laid my um, hives, I've, I've got them elevated off the ground. I laid some weed barrier below um, so that it would be easier for me to get in there and inspect them and not get overgrown. And then I laid, we, um, I, I put some, I used real timbers underneath there, keep it nice and natural. And so they're up off the ground 
foot or so. And But the shungite's kind of the same color as the black weed barrier that I've got. So I, I didn't initially see it. Then I just watched my bees, and they showed me where it was because they would come out of the hive, and they would touch it before they went off. So I was able to find all the nuggets because the bees took me to them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, they don't want their nuggets going anywhere. Yeah, it's like you alluded to. It's probably the wind blew them off and mm-hmm. yeah, just pick them back up, put them up there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was interesting. So I had a thought. I was uh, looking at the molecular structure of Shanghai and the 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 power of the C60 molecule and um, the rotation within it. And it made me wonder if, you know, the attraction for the bees, like it's good for all of us, but the fact that the bees' reaction was so instantaneous, it was like you rang the doorbell, ding dong, and they all came running, you know, when I first put that nugget out there. Um, I, I, you know, I wondered about the hexagon shape that they use for their combs is repeated throughout the structure of the shungite molecule. So it made me wonder, I started doing some research on the resonance and the frequency that shungite gives off. And I wasn't able to find yet, but I bet if there's not already a study about what the actual musical key is that is emanated from the shungite I would bet you that it matches the thrum of their wings because it was they were so familiar with it. They were so comfortable with it. It has to have something to do with that hexagonal shape and the fact that it's rotating clockwise. And if you look at that that buckyball, it's not just, you know, it's all those hexagons together. And that's just one of the C60 molecules. And then there's so many of them interconnect bound up next to each other within the shungite that i'm wondering if you know um when we hear a bell chime we hear it reverberate and then it it eventually dissipates those sound waves go move out and and so the volume decreases i'm wondering if the that clockwise motion within the fullerene if that just keeps the resonance perpetuating and that's what's continually attractive to the bees. I would love to see somebody research that. Are you aware of any studies about that? I'm not aware of any studies. Um, and Nancy likes to, and I can let her elaborate on that in a minute, but, you know, calls it like the quantum door open, which makes, you know, that's a, the best way I've heard of explaining it, too. Um, but, yeah, it gives them, you know, I, it's easy to throw the word quantum around, but that's, that's the thing when you're talking about these sizes, but, you know, there's definitely, we've given it thought, we've done podcasts on the whole hexagon shape, which is also why even my rock tumbler, I don't know if you're aware of the cosmic silver shungite, the stuff I tumble in pure silver, but it's in a hexagon-shaped rock tumbler for that exact reason. Mm. That wasn't lost on me either. Um, on that That's a, a very special shape and that matters. And actually, the, the um, rock tumbler, depending on how you look at it, tumbles clockwise as well. And what it has is just hundreds of little silver bars and pieces in it that it are the tumbling medium for the shungite nuggets or shungite beads I put in there. Um, so that's exactly why we do that because of its energetic effects on it. Uh, and yeah, I don't think that's lost on the bees at all. It's not random. And in, in, in their honeycomb, of course, it's thousands of little hexagon shaped shaped cells. So, and that's again, not random either. They know what they're doing. And then the same thing like you alluded to, as far as the buckyball, I mean, yeah, these shungite has, in essence, the exact same thing going on. The little quantum energy containers that, you know, or lack of words here, but will hold 
you know, beneficial frequencies for living beings. Um, yeah, so it's, you know, it's exciting. And, and Nancy, I don't know if you wanted to elaborate on, on your explanation of that or not, but. Well, my suspicion is, is that, well, uh, Andrew Bartzis, who's a galactic historian, long story, but he basically said, and I think he was right when he said it, is that Shungite represents every mineral that ever was on the planet or will be on the planet. And so my suspicion is that it would be very difficult for them to really pinpoint the sound. It's probably going to sound like a symphony, <laughs> more so than just one tone. Because it's the C60 itself, I think, is probably the shape of the universe. And the magic inside the C60 is, it's, it's perfect. I mean, it's just perfect geometry. And when you start rotating that perfect geometry, what happens is that you do make a resonant connection to the quantum field. You know, 90% of everything it that is is over there. We only see 10% of what is. So this massive place where all proto-energy comes from. And if you're that, then you've got every frequency there ever was or ever will be. Okay? Hmm. So, and it is a resonant thing between the C60 and that particular thing we call the quantum field. And, and it's, you know, that's probably not an accurate description of it, but that the, the stuff everything is made of. So when you, we, we're using the raw, and I can detect energies, but I can also see it. I can actually see it and analyze it. And so I'm watching this stuff, and it's going like, it's like the quantum door is opening and shutting. Okay, so there's a pulsing thing. Now, you're using just plain raw nuggets with your bees yes okay why don't you do an experiment with getting the uh, silver shungite and see I if will. you don't see there's there's a difference um, because when you, when you've got the silver in it for whatever reasons I can't explain it we've tested it we know this is what's happening is that you've got the quantum that doesn't pulse it just stays opened so it's a continual flow of the energy. Interesting. Yeah. That's 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 so interesting. I did hear on one of your episodes, Derek, where you were mentioning actually spraying the insides of the boxes with colloidal silver to help prevent fungal growth and so forth. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea for any kind of funguses, bacteria, all sorts of things, which are, you know, they call it American fowl brood or you know, all sorts of things. It, it helps with a lot of the issues bees have by doing that. I've got to do that. I, I'm wondering, um, I feel like I need to maybe prepare a box painted with shungai, treated with the colloidal silver, and just slowly start transitioning existing hives, like transfer their frames into those boxes that are prepared for them, and then I can go through and take the boxes that they have lived in and then treat those so you know kind of almost like you would renovate your house room by room maybe i could work my way through them have you ever done that transferred the bees for that reason exactly that that's exactly how i do it uh, you get the new box prep it like you're saying and i just wrote down a note here to um 
to mail you. I'm going to gift you three of the um, Cosmic Silver Shungite Nuggets so you can put it on that hive. Thank you. Oh, no, absolutely. And then, um, yeah, we'll have to have you back and get you some feedback in the spring when they start, you know. Well, I'm not sure what the weather is there, but regardless, yeah, that's how you do it is transform over, get the new hive, prep it on all the ways you just mentioned, um, including the Shungite paint on the outside, and then just transfer over, you know, box by box. And then when you need to add on, make sure your new boxes are, are your, be it a honey one or a deep, are pre-prepped. And then, then you, yes, you can rotate through your whole stock of beehives. Yeah, that's a plan. That is on my to-do list for sure. I want to make sure that they're as protected as possible. And, I mean, the proof is in the pudding. And, by the way, the honey was phenomenal. And I, <laughs> I try not to be partial, but so I, I kind of uh, – I definitely favor the honey from my own bees better than anything. But they're feasting on lavender. They're feasting on beautyberry. Are you familiar with beautyberry? No. Um, so it's native to Virginia, and it had my only knowledge of it, you know, 10 years ago, was as an ornamental landscape plant. I had it when we were living in the Burbs. Um, we had some, and it's something that it blooms, like it gets flowers in June, but it does not bear fruit until the fall, like um, mid-September time frame. Gorgeous, gorgeous berries. If you look it up online, um, the Latin name is Calicarpa Americana, uh, but it's commonly known as beautyberry or French mulberry. It has leaves that look like hydrangeas, but then it's got this long stem, and it has clusters of BB-sized berries that are just absolutely gorgeous. So my bees are feasting on the pollen of that, and the you know, so throughout the year, of course, you probably experience that your spring honey and your fall honey are a different color because of the uh, the nectar and pollen sources that are available, um, but the flavor is just incredible because we have such a you know diversity of wildflowers at our farm. Um, we have a a two acre perennial meadow, and then we have um, an acre of annuals for cutting bouquets, and then we've got about nineteen varieties of lavender. So we've got your perfume varieties and your culinary varieties. So they've got a smorgasbord to work with, and they are cranking out a product that is just, I've never tasted a lavender, I mean a honey, quite like it. Um, I, I love trying different types of honey. Actually, the, the first beekeeper to keep bees on our farm, his name actually, his last name actually is Lavender, believe it or not. Um, but he owns a meadery in town, so he takes the honey and turns it into essentially honey wine, ferments the honey, and creates, he's winning awards all over the country um, for the quality of his his mead. But um, when we first started, uh, I couldn't keep the bees. I had too many things going on. So he was sort of showing the ropes to my neighbor, who in turn has, has taught me. And um, yeah, the, he has a, you can do a, a honey flight at his establishment which is so cool because he's got different honeys that have foraged, uh, you know, board bees have foraged on different crops. And, and then you can do tastings and see the difference and taste the difference. And it's incredible how vast um, the variety of flavor is and the texture and the, the consistency of it. Some are thicker than others. Some are very uh, watery based on, you know, what they're consuming at what time of year. But ours tends to have a slight 
hint of a vanilla flavor to it. And I don't know how that happens from the variety of flowers that our bees are feasting on, but it's uh, it's very delicate, it's very nice, and it's really great for the occasional sore throat or cough. So that's that's pretty cool. But um, Nancy and Derek, I wanted to ask you, um, and Mark too, maybe you know something about this. Are you, I was reading some of the um, studies that you have on your website, and I was reading about fluorescent microscopy where they can kind of see um, the light reactions that happen with uh, the C60 molecule. And that made me think of Kirlian uh, photography. Are you familiar with that, where oh, you can see the aura? Yeah, I've got a Kirlian photography set up here. Oh, and, you do? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. Um, yeah, and I've worked with the, the lights off of Shungi. I've stuck it under the um, I have a real high-end microscope as well, Nancy kind of mentioned earlier on quickly. Um, that I've stuck shungite powder under and, and, you know, I'll just have fun with it, zapped it with different things and, and saw it light up and all sorts of stuff. But yeah, I have a photography too. We've done it with, oh geez, Nancy, you might remember, again, she's, <laughs> she's my memory bank. But I think the last thing I did was some stickers. Maybe I, I shut, I put the shungite stickers on there and, you know, you have to, for those who don't know, you have to turn out the lights. There's a whole process and a device you have to have. Um, but yeah, you get to see the the aura or energy field of different items. Um, but actually, what's funny, Carrie, I just found that device yesterday because I'm I'm prepping out in our garage here to distill some stuff that we mentioned. Um, and I found that device in there, so I'm like, well, I may have to play with this again. So, oh, this, have have you ever recorded uh, your interaction with the bees and and them coming to the Shungite? Uh, no. Uh-uh, oh. no. Oh, I really want to see that. Actually, that actually, so the, cool. actually, that's not true, because he used to have a live cam on his beehives, and you could watch him. You know, so the Kirlian photography. Where oh, it showed oh, that, that I see what you're saying. No, I no, but but the Kirlian is interesting because we initially thought that the three nuggets were made some kind of another field. But, you know, that's what I saw. We tested it. That's what we be- began to believe. And we met somebody who was really into to Shungite, who was also a Russian, contacted me. And they had Kirlian photography of Shungite. And sure enough, in, in one of the photographs they had, they had three pieces, you know, about an inch apart from each other. And you could see the secondary field of energy that was connecting them. So you've got like a pyramid type thing you know a triangle let's put a triangle and the the interesting thing was there was some other shungite objects around and you saw from the center of this kind of three you know it was reaching out to the others so yeah yeah i'll I'll, uh i'll put those photographs up in the promo uh picture and send it to you so you can see it it's pretty it was amazing I didn't initially see it. It was when I showed the pictures to uh, Walt. He said, Nance, Nance, look at this. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, you're right, you know. So, yeah, we've actually used it to prove one of the pillars, let's say, of our concept of what Shungite is and how it works. That is absolutely fascinating. Now, there is a video that is making its rounds on Telegram, and it's, Kirlian photography video taken, it had to be early 70s. Um, maybe you've seen it where 
they show um, the aura. It starts out where it shows the aura, the energy field around a puppy, and then it shows when when he, it interacts with the master, and they could they come together, and that increases. And then it shows how somebody is walking out onto the beach, and when they they're grounding, and then the movement of the waves that that it expands their biofield so visibly. And then uh, the most powerful interaction of all was when uh, a mother was singing lovingly to her child and the child came close and their their biofields united and then amplified and turned this beautiful shade of pink. So that made me think, wow, I would love to see visibly what's really happening with the interaction between beekeeper bee and shungite. Because through the Kirlian lens, because that's proof positive. Like you, that's something measurable. That's something we can see with our eyes, and that takes it out of this. Like, oh, I I see the results, but I don't really know like scientifically what's causing it. We have well, we have a much better idea thanks to to you all and what you're doing to educate the public about Shanghai. But um, it to me, the, those theoretical things that the PTSD foundations that are helping veterans, like maybe we could see that. Maybe we could see somebody's biofield improve or the intensity uh, broaden in the presence of the bees and the Shanghai. Man, that would be fascinating. Derek, if you ever do that, like I want to see it. <laughs> I think what that would I be. Can, what I think I should do is I've got a, um, I don't remember the exact name of it, but I've got an, or um, I'll just say aura reading device. So it's different than curling photography. It comes with a, uh, so there's a whole biofeedback add-on to it where you put your hand on this pad that was developed by scientists. So it does all sorts of readings and sensors from your skin to this, that, and the other. And then it gives a representation of it on the video screen. So it overlays that on your actual video. Um, so that's a different beast than we're talking about here, of course, but it is something I have that where I could, and I have done it, where you can drop something in somebody's hand while they're on the aura reading machine um, and see the differences or changes in their biofield. But I did share in the chat room, I don't know if you're in there or not, but an image of what the Carillion photography device I have. So it's actually some glass plates that you have to set down in a complete dark environment and then put the item in there and then turn on your cameras. So it's not going to, at least the setup I have isn't like, so for those listening, I wouldn't visualize like a handheld camcorder you're walking around with or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a whole different setup. So I'm not sure how I could do it with the bees, but I can introduce objects and then, you know, take away or add Shungite or Silver Tomb and see the, the differences. They both sound like really incredible you know, opportunities to sort of like lift up the hood, so to speak, and see how that engine's working. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think, I think that even my background in particular um, caused me to be skeptical about a lot of things. And um, I think that a lot of people who are hesitant or they might look at, they might not be able to separate the science of shungite and biofields from you know maybe their own religious experience or background and and they might associate it with things and 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 therefore 
think, well, that maybe that's not for me. Maybe I don't believe that way. But if the science is there, if they can see it with their own eyes, they're a lot more prone to say, oh, okay, you know. So, I mean, and plus it's just those of us who already know and embrace what it can do, the affirmation is exciting. It just makes you want to do more and try new things with it and put it in more people's hands. Oh, yes, I agree with you. It's a lot of fun trying these different things. That's why I buy all the the devices or cameras or microscopes or whatever the thing is and I just jump. It's like buying all the utensils. Um, here I go, Nancy, for um, cooking but not following a cookbook. So I prefer just to get the, the tools that are suggested and then invent some of my own and then jump in there and see what happens. Yeah. Mark, you haven't said anything for two hours almost. <laughs> well, we haven't given him a chance, but yeah. Yeah, yeah no, no, but he set this up, so I'm going to put it on him. But is there anything you'd like to add to the conversation? Um, not too much. This is great. This is what I expected after uh, me and Kevin went back and forth on Telegram. And um, it's like with, I could feel the energy popping. I was like, oh, yeah, we got to get you on the show. <clears throat> you have so much to share. But I wanted to promote your site here and your products. Um, SweetHavenLavender.com. You have some popular choices, features. Um, uh, and there is a relationship, apparently, with your products and the Shungite Bees, right? Um, and what would you recommend for people to, to try out and purchase? Well, um, we are in the process. My daughter's actually, even as we speak, she's working on an overhaul for her our website where we will post an Adopt-A-Hive uh, sponsorship opportunity because... I, I foresee our bees just continuing to thrive, and I perceive that, you know, any beekeeper knows that keeping bees is an expensive proposition. Um, so there are a lot of people in the community who would very much like to help the bee population, but they're either allergic to bees or they uh, don't have the setup in their yard to be able to keep bees, but they want to do something to help. So um, just we put something out to our garden clubs that visit and we created an adopt a hive sponsorship opportunity for them and we'll just put that there on the website for anybody who'd like to get involved with that um uh, essentially they purchase the equipment and um and we'll put their their name on that hive box so that's that those are their little babies and um and then when we harvest that first fall um we we give two pounds of that honey to them so that they can enjoy that. Um, so that's something to look forward to. But as far as uh, we do, uh, our bee products are also used to uh, in our uh, lip balm, which makes a really nice lip balm. And we have our honey available. There's uh, the, our raw honey that comes straight from the hive. And then there is an infused honey with lavender added to it lavender extract so um, as far as the honey products are concerned um, but yeah I mean any any visits to the farm website will ultimately help the bees because that will you know allow us to invest more into the infrastructure of the bees and I'm looking to train a young assistant to so that we can uh, you know there are only so many hours in a day and if these bees keep up at this rate I'm going to need an extra set of hands <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Um, I was going to ask. So uh, one of our discussions we talked about, you had uh, recently a, a big um, talk with uh, your garden clubs, and um, you detailed about Shanghai, Shanghai uh, 
bees and the hives. Um, is that some? And, and I wondered how that went and wondered if uh, you want to share some of that. Yeah, it was very warmly received. It was actually a council of garden clubs um, from the area. So it was sort of like the um, their elected officials from, I think, I think it was 18 garden clubs represented. And um, they asked me to speak specifically on lavender because that's sort of our specialty here at the farm. So we talked about the health benefits of lavender. And I can't talk about lavender without talking about the bees. So I mentioned the bees and I mentioned the shungite and how they have thrived with the shungite. And I probably had as many questions about shungite as I did about lavender afterwards. So um, I even had one lady was so excited. She couldn't wait till afterwards. She, she piped in right in the middle of the talk and wanted to know where she could get some of that right away. So um, I need to see about connecting with Derek and seeing if we can carry some in the store. Um, because there was a lot of enthusiasm for it. So I sent, I, I gave the Mystical Wares uh, website to everybody who asked, and then we had a sign-up list there, and because of the information that I shared about the health of the bees, because of the shungite and using organic practices there, uh, we had several people sign up to want to sponsor a hive. So I, I just want to thank you guys for your hand in that. Okay, tell us more. Yeah. Okay, Derek. No, no, no. I just want to say that's awesome to hear you doing that. No, go ahead, Mark. Yeah, tell us more about the hive sponsorship. You detailed to me about that um, earlier and also more about your lavender essential oil that you guys have on the site. Yeah. Um, okay, so for the sponsorship, if you go to our online store, um, there is uh, an option within the store if you, if you go to our website and you go to the shop, um, there will be a sponsor a hive option. And you can either, you know, uh, dedicate that to an individual if you want to sponsor it yourself personally. But, like, we had a, a very sweet husband whose wife is really um, into gardening and natural things. He actually gifted a hive in her name for her birthday. So um, we placed the name on that starter hive. So you have the option to do a complete hive where we start with the deep and the super to go on that so they have room to grow, or you can just start, um, you know, with a basic kit, and then we'll put the name on the hive, and then I will take video and send them the progress of their hive so they can see their girls at work, and then uh, in the fall when we do our harvest, then uh, they can, they're entitled to two pounds of that honey, which we do we um, actually package it in a glass hexagon shape because I learned that that shape is important to bees for a reason. And if you store honey in something other than that hexagon shape, it changes the enzyme profile. Um, so the healthiest possible honey you can get is local, raw, and stored in a hexagon shape. So um, that's available. And then, of course, our lavender essential oil, we do distill right here on the farm, and we harvest that right before those blooms burst open so that they have maximum oil content in there. And we do use a copper still because that is um, that helps to some of the impurities that might come through the water. Um, they just bind to the interior of the copper. So you get a purer product from that. And then we, um, we age it for a year and that just deepens and mellows that fragrance. And lavender is tremendous for helping your memory. It's great to add a couple of drops to your shampoo, your sulfite-free shampoo, and it's really great. It's the, the best uh, 
clinical treatment for alopecia and hair loss. So I like to add a couple drops to my shampoo, and it's, of course, great to inhale. Um, we recommend for lavender essential oil that you don't apply it directly topically um, to your skin, in, unless it's in the case of like a bee sting or a, a burn. But generally, um, that's why my daughter went and got her certification for um, organic skincare formulation to make sure that the lavender is in an appropriate ratio that's really healthy and nourishing for your skin and won't um, make you overly sensitive to it because it's so powerful. So we want to make sure that we use it in healthy proportions for, you know, what's right for your skin. So, yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Um, I, I, <clears throat> I don't know if you have any more questions for uh, Derek or Nancy while you have them. We only have like no, 20 minutes left on the time flew. Uh, with the, this was a great discussion. I do have questions. I have so many. Is it okay if I ask a couple more? Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, go for it. Okay. So, so this is sort of um, not necessarily hive related, but Derek, I, I understand that you actually visited um, the Shanga region. Is that correct? No, no, I've never been to Russia. Oh, okay. Okay. So I was wondering, but um, so then what does it, so you probably got more Shanghai in your life than the average bear. So uh, do you notice a physical difference? Like, I mean, you probably have a lot at home and your shop, but um, do you notice a difference like when you're out and about as opposed to when you come into your shop and you're surrounded by a lot of it? Do you notice a change physically? Oh, not just myself, but others that don't know. So I have literally, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't know how many thousands of pounds. Of it. I have tons of it. So, um, and that's, yeah, obviously more than the average person is going to have. So you do, and but you don't have to have that much to feel the difference either, just so, so I can put that out there. Um, but you do. So like here at Mystical Wares, which is my store in Mount Vernon, Washington, when people walk in, you know, they're not, they're just experiencing the energetic change or shift and they can't, you know, really apply it to what, because there's a lot of moving parts to it, but that's definitely the largest factor is the shungite um and then when you leave because people walk in the door here and it's almost all the time especially for anybody that's new they're going to pause at the entrance just to take it in just to oh. for the energy the feel they'll say i just got goosebumps walking in or something like that you know oh yeah so there's an absolute difference wow that's really cool and then wearing it too so if they once they hold it or put it on their hands or anything like that um i i was in not random, but I was out there the other day, and it was yesterday, and all of a sudden, there were seven people. I was standing around the Shungite. Um, somebody asked me something or other, and all of a sudden, they just started coming around, and nobody knows who I am in this group. Um, I mean, they didn't even know that I owned the place. They just heard somebody talking Shungite. So then we're we're talking about it. I think they all eventually clued in. But then we start a hand piece. I'm like, um, well, here, no, you can try it. Take it out of the package. And so we're talking about cosmic silver bracelets. And I was explaining the difference and how the feel and when you put it on or, you know, how it, it it's a tangible thing. You can literally feel it. Um, yeah, and, and differently for each person because it's subtle energies, as they're sometimes called, and we all perceive those, you know, slightly different um, often. So, yeah, no, it's, it's a big difference when you're around it or not. Okay, so mentioning the jewelry, um, I see a Chinese medical doctor and – She's my acupuncturist, and when I was first learning about copper, um, I, I, you know, I just went and got a copper bracelet and it happened to have magnets on it, and she said, oh, you know, wear the copper, yes, but please, you know, magnets are powerful medicine. You kind of need to know 
how to use them, the right way to use them, so forth. And, um, and then she recommended um, rotating, not wearing the copper on the same wrist every day. Or she likes to rotate, like she'll do an ear cuff on the right ear, and then she kind of moves in a clockwise fashion. So the next day she'll do um, the right hand uh, bracelet, and then she'll do an anklet. Or I'm, I say I'm not going in the right direction, but you get the idea. So a different piece of jewelry, and she rotates throughout her body in in the clockwise circular motion. Um, I was wondering if you ever notice any impact or um, – if you do a similar practice with shungite, if you if it makes much of a difference, or if that's something you feel energetically, and or you just kind of naturally do it, that's a good question. Um, and yes, I do, but I'll, I'll usually default to intuition, and that's why I suggest to others do whatever you're led, um, whatever you feel. That way, we don't have to follow a set recipe. And I'm not uh, going against your your practitioner's way, going from the right arm or whatever it was, or doesn't want So that's her or them using their intuition, regardless. Um, mm-hmm. So, yes, it's a good idea. Kind of think like if you're stretching your physical muscles, well, shungite helps stretch stretch you etherically or metaphysically, energetically. So if you move it around and it's not, again, I try not to get too, um, you know, e- explicit on these things or exact, meaning, you know, because some people say, well, how many hours do I have to wear it on here? I'm like, ah, don't worry about all that. Just if it occurs to you, if you think about it, well, hey, maybe I want to put it in this hand. Then that means you should do it. So then move it around. On the magnet thing, I actually, one of those people I was talking about, I actually, because he stuck his arm out and says, look, I'm wearing this. Somebody recommended the, this um, magnet bracelet. And it was a big one. And I'm, I'm a blunt guy and direct. And, you know, I'll just speak the truth. I, I told him, no, I wouldn't wear it. Um, it's not doing what you were told. And I've seen people take off their shoes and show me this insole with a bunch of magnets peppered in the bottom. Um Sometimes in a spot where they thought it was a good idea, and sometimes it was random. But either way, it's just like you were saying. There's so much to that that it's hard to to follow an exact. You know, I don't have another term, but recipe on that. So I just I don't. I'm not a fan of magnets per se. They're not negative, but there's just a lot going on there. And the same with copper and or shungite, rotating it where you need it. Some days um, I'll wear a shungite pendant, so then that little pendant's just hanging around, kind of around my heart chakra area, or Often I'll wear a Shanghai bracelet um, because I'll do, you know, different things with my hands. So I would just follow your own instincts, but yes, it's a good idea. Um, let, 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 your- yeah, let me tell you a little story about magnets, okay? Because what happened was that I got, it, a, you know, a minor introduction into magnets, and I was kind of legged to it. So I told Walt, I said... Um, you know, take take a, a we had we by that time we had I I don't even remember the sequence because I think I told him to make the magnet I know I told him to make make a magnet that um, had holes in it so I could make a bracelet out of it. Okay, so we do that and then I study a little bit more about the and I had him make a batch of them because I was going to give them out to people to get a feeling for them right and uh, so. I, I, then I studied more on magnets, and I realized, oh, my God, there's a polarity. If you've got it negative or positive, you, you know, it makes a difference. And, you know, it all of a sudden got very complicated. Mm-hmm. So I'm telling Walt, I'm saying, you know, this and this and this and this and this. And he said, okay. And what happened was that he had actually made the magnet so that it was in its correct position. 
okay, based on how it was going to be made into a bracelet. But then he realized that, no, it's the opposite way. And he had made him wrong, right? (laughs) But then he realized, no, it it took him like 24 hours, but then he realized, no, because when he, he had made a second mistake, and the second mistake was using a compass that was designed for cars. Okay, so when you're looking at it, it's actually giving you where you want to go versus what it's really reading. It's, it's odd. But he made two mistakes. Walt doesn't make mistakes. But he made two mistakes that corrected his, his mistakes so that it was absolutely perfectly done. Okay? And, you know, so, but the fact that that had happened made me very leery about putting them out there. So mm-hmm. we basically stopped production of bracelets. You know, I mean, there's still magnets, you know, put them on a refrigerator or a mechanical thing. You know, they're set. You, where, where it's going to attach, you, you're set. You know, it does, it's not like a magnet on your, your arm is going to, you know, attach to you. You know, you're not magnetic. Um, so, yeah, you have to be very, very careful when you're using magnets. And sometimes yeah. people say to me, well, can I use the refrigerator magnet? No, and it's not because it won't work. It's because I'm afraid you won't remember, and you might put it the wrong way. Mm. You know, if it's not foolproof and there's any kind of a cautionary tale, I go with, you know, no, let's not do it. Because I used to be in a company that made grenade launchers. And before we made anything new and sent it to the customer, we would get together and try to break it. (laughs) Because we're sending it to young men who are on a battlefield who are bored. (laughs) (laughs) And and inevitably, one of them would do something that none of us could imagine them doing. So it's (laughs) like I learned, you know, be cautious, follow your instincts, you know, don't put it out there. Because it's not really needed in the realm of Shungite. You know, I mean, that Shung- makes sense. Yeah. So. That makes sense. Another question I had was about um, detox baths. This is something um, the, the group that Mark and I have been uh, conversing in, they're teaching mitigation techniques for, you know, nanotech that might slip in in our food or water supply and how how to pull that stuff out of us get any kind of graphene out of there um so that we're we're not human antennas or um apparently we already are but maybe reduce uh the the availability for people to hack our our internet of bodies um and so the discussion comes up a lot about detox baths and i was just wondering about um the usefulness of like maybe putting uh, a shungite nugget in in a bath and if you have any experience with that or um how productive that might be if that would enhance you know if you've got your salts in there and you've got your baking soda in there and um what that might do for you yeah that's a that's a great idea i actually on um, anytime i do take a bath even in my when i had various um personal hot tubs uh, you yes, I'd put a Shungai spear or like in this case at the bathtub at home, I have a, a Shungai Merkaba, so just a carved piece of Shungai. And you can use nuggets, you can use whatever you want. Of course, I'd recommend watching for 
whatever type of shungite you use, not to use any with a, a sharp point on it, of course, because, you know, it can damage the bathtub or things. Um, but no, that's a great idea, adding shungite to your, your bathtub, because then it's shungite water. It's um, energetically definitely affected, so it's more programmable. Um, there's lots of ways of looking, but I've never, I've never taken a bath without it in there since I realized it was a thing. We're talking many years now as well. So that's mm. a great idea. Yeah, even if you have farm animals. I mean, we sell, I just put them online the other day, but larger chunks, some of them are a pound or two in size of shungite that some people put in their, they say their, their horse trough, the water trough, or goat, sheep, whatever. Um, so farm animals, so you can get it in their water as well. And I'm talking larger pieces so that you can, you know, grab them when you clean it out and they don't get lost sort of thing. Um, but that's an option too. So really in any water supply, if you have a, a pond on your property or whomever, um, that's a good idea as well. Toss it in there. We've shown that gridded, heck, I don't know how many places now, I don't know how many waterways, creeks, rivers, streams, um, and it's had great effects on all of them. I wonder if that would help algae bloom in a, in a pond because we've got a continual issue with that. Well, algae's not negative, though, remember. So, shungite will make it more living water. And because algae is, yeah, sometimes we perceive it as humans as negative, but it's not. So, it could go either way. It may boost it. Mm. Um, but maybe that I would say suggest getting your intention involved and toss the shungite in there with the intention of it being a whatever a comfortable level is of that and see where it goes. Interesting. Yeah, we ran into this problem, okay? in that sometimes people were putting the shungite into their water and all of a sudden they have a lot of algae. Well, what it turns out to be is that most algae is very sensitive to pH. Okay, mm. now we have not been able to detect a pH change using shungite, making shungite water out of anything. I, we've never, some people claim it, I have not seen the, the evidence. You might have some there, Derek. But the um, so when when you're when you're dealing with that situation, it is like he says intent. Okay, you're wanting to because the nature. I started at the beginning of the year to write a gratitude journal. Of shungite is you can and, and water is that you can program it. So what I suggested to somebody and it worked was to program it for. Uh, a pH that was not conducive to the algae. Ah, I see. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Hmm. So give That's that really give give that give that a try. Hmm. Because because it's it's natural. It's rotating correctly. The only way you have a change is when it's a toxic and it's rotating the other way. So you know if it's natural, you know for all you know you're you're increasing the algae with the shungite because it's natural <laughs> but your intent you know and you know you talk to the algae you know say algae you just can't be here i know <laughs> you want to be here it's shungited and everything but you just can't be here and you know namaste and leave leave the pool <laughs> or the lake or the river stream yeah but then it gets complicated because the fish eat the algae. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You know, so. Well, I, I think what's happening with ours is um, we've got uh, some very active beavers that are kind of changing the ecosystem there. And when they do that and they block um, the, the oxygenation, that's when it tends to, 
I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe scientifically, I'm totally off on that. But it seems like it seems like that's what the correlation is, and it's you know, okay, I'm sure so, it's a good so, ecosystem for something. It's just not as pretty to look at. <laughs> okay, when we first started out with putting the shungite in like swimming pools, Walt made a, a device it's called a water turtle. Okay, and we. We we okay. So we're are the 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 goal here is to have pure water in this. And you know we know that oxygen and, and somebody else had done a weird study that you know <laughs> was amazing. But it, oxygen oxygen is is the best cleaner of water. So what we did was we programmed the device, and you can reprogram, you can add programs on. You know, but we initially programmed the device to make oxygen, and it it. <laughs> it made so much oxygen that the the water started foaming <laughs> from oxygen. Interesting. Yeah, people were freaking out. Oh my God, something happened to my. Yes, it's oxygen, you know. But uh, I mean, to the point that one of my friends, it, it was oxygenated. You could see it, and she said there was a plastic truck that her kids had been playing with that was at the bottom of the pool. And she noticed it just before she was going to bed. She said, I'll get it in the morning. Well, in the morning, it was floating. The oxygen had raced it to the top of the surface. That's so, crazy. Yeah. So you, wow. So if you think it's an oxygen situation, then program the water to have excess oxygen. Or, or enough. Pono, pono. You know, make it right. Oxygen. Think in terms of that. Because Shanghai will make, I mean, water. It's easy to make oxygen out of water. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. Just an atom change. Wow. Okay, so all of this scientific discussion um, leads me to, I had just two last questions. I was wondering, we work with a couple of different universities here uh, locally, and they use our farm sort of like a living laboratory. Um, one of the um, research projects has to do with biochar as a natural organic remedy for like a fungal issues that would prompt root rot in plants um, and that's been a mutually beneficial relationship I was just wondering if Derek if you have any partnerships with any research institutes or agricultural universities where they're doing any sort of like a detailed record keeping of any type with what's going on with the shungite bees I'd, I would love to you know see that and maybe that would help promote um, you know the furtherance of that information is, is that is that anything that you've already got in the works or have thought about? Um, some people have have done different studies. There was one in Oregon some time ago, but basically they kept it from. I don't remember the terminology, but they went at it without consulting me. They didn't. They just let me. They were doing it, but they worded it such that they wanted to go off of just the information, not my input. Um, and they weren't obligated to share any results with me or anything, and I don't know if it was published. So I, basically, that just kind of disappeared. I never really heard what came of it, and naturally, I remember the time frame. But I've heard of lots of different people doing it different ways, but not uh, an actual study again that I'm privy to. So I don't. I wish I did. No, I'm gonna have to try and see if I can get more involved and find somebody locally who can do that. Yeah, that would be really neat to be able to have some of those um public okay you know? okay okay um, we've got to we've got to end the show here i'm so sorry we're gonna have to have you back <laughs> because i'm sure you'll, you'll have more you'll have more questions would you like to say good night to the audience carrie 
Oh, thank you all for allowing me to participate, and thank you to, to all of you, for the listeners, but, you know, for Mark and Nancy and Derek and all of those who I haven't met yet who are involved with you for putting this information in our hands. It's it's exciting, and I, I'm a, a happy recipient of, of your information and seeing it play out, so good night to all, and thank and, you. And thank you, and be safe, and boys, just say good night. We're going out. Bye-bye. You have been listening to the Shanghai Radio Show, produced by Cosmic Reality Radio. Thank you for being here. Be safe.